Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing intercounty players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. Brian O'Driscoll. On Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Well, we're all set for a repeat of last year's decider in the Heineken Champions Cup final on the 20th of May at the Aviva Stadium. Both Leinster and the defending champions, La Rochelle, booking their places in impressive fashion at the weekend, both scoring in excess of 40 points, their number nines putting in huge performances and their packs being very impressive as well. To break down the semi-finals from the weekend, just gone. Delighted to say I'm joined by former Ireland captain Brian O'Driscoll. Brian, how are you getting on? All good, thanks. Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, drawing breath after a great Champions Cup um weekend to well um two very impressive performances i don't know if there was much in the contest other you know after 10 minutes of both games it kind of felt as though there was an air of inevitability to both um considering the performance of both leinster and and la rochelle but um yeah i think i think there were probably concerns from a neutral perspective after leinster's demolition of toulouse that you know, maybe it'll be a one-sided affair in the final, but then we were treated to some spectacular rugby by La Rochelle on, on Sunday. And I think, understandably, as reigning champions, I think only the third team to get to three successive finals. So they are not going to roll over, that is for certain. And they've been a thorn in Leinster's side, not just that late win in Marseille last year, but winning a semi-final a couple of years ago. Uh, this has become a good and interesting recent rivalry between the two sides. Yeah, they've got a template now how to beat them. And, um, you know, I think Leinster and us as part of the media will be going back and, and revisiting those two games, um, particularly uh, last year's final, how they managed to to nullify Leinster where no other side was capable of doing it really over the course of um, of the campaign. And, you know, they just, Leinster looked an awful lot Kind of more blunt than we had associated with the, them all all year with you know this flair and counterattacking and and you know brilliant accuracy at launch play and multi-phase they they felt like the whole package and then didn't quite manage to deliver their best in the final and and came unstuck with a with a couple of minutes to go so you'd have to think that all of that will adding be adding fuel to the fire and they in many ways they would have, would have thought would have been cheering on La Rochelle to to get to that uh, final albeit it's a tougher contest on you know both on on paper um and now having watched the performances at the weekend sometimes when you we when you get badly burned by a team you want to get another shot at them and I'm, i'd imagine the fact that it's in dublin it will favor Leinster. they'll come in as favorites but you know it'll be interesting to see what the bookies do have it as because that power game and that ability at the rook that la rochelle have shown you know, over the last few seasons is a real, has been a thorn in Leinster's side and it's a one way to stop them from playing. Were Toulouse trying to use that blueprint a little bit at the weekend? You were at the Aviva and if you consider the way Leinster have been beaten in recent times in semi-finals and finals, it's been a big, powerful pack that they've not been able to break down in the case of Saracens and with La Rochelle over the last couple of occasions they've played them. Uh, Toulouse went with their more physical forwards to start with. You saw with the split on the bench, which came back to haunt them somewhat, given that they had to move Dupont around uh, because of the way they had their bench set up as well. Yeah, but they do that a lot, to be honest with you. I don't think that was specifically just for Leinster. I think they do, you know, they do focus on their big power game up front um, an awful lot. But you have to remember all of those players are very capable 
footballers too, good offloaders. So they've they've kind they're kind of the whole package. I I think there's a big differential in the coaching. To be honest with you, the difference between the subtleties of play between Leinster, the angles of running, the timing, um, understanding what triggers um, allow you to accelerate at top speed coming onto the ball and committing defenders. All of that small kind of micro work that goes on unnoticed by many is actually culminates in the difference between quality strike plays and and you know running into um into big coverage and i think toulouse's ability to be able to create space after the aki try early on was 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 really reduced i don't know whether that was great lens to defense or or just poor quality attack but you know you look at what the, the score that they conjured in whatever it was and you know, six or seven minutes into the game and you thought, okay, great game on. The way they went, you know, twice around the corner and then reloaded on the blind side, anticipating, um, you know, some big forwards to be out there, which they managed to capture. And then they got, you know, was, I think it was Entomac, Labelle, Aki, and then Movaka was out on the wing. And so being able to use that speed and quality of pass, that has to be the difference between teams being able to, you know, score tries against this quality Leinster defence and, and and coming off second best. So I think there's those, you know, Ron O'Gara will look at those moments and think, OK, we've got lots of that capabilities. We can get advantage line with our huge ball carriers, but then we've got the sleight of hand and the quality ball players as well to be able to catch them on the extremity too. So um, I'm just surprised that Toulouse weren't capable of putting that together on, on, on in, uh, you know, in more cases throughout the course of the 80 minutes. But I mean, once Leinster got away from them, it felt as though they panicked a small bit. They, they were playing catch up. And, and sometimes your game disintegrates a bit when that does happen. You kind of lose your head a bit. How much of Toulouse misfiring then comes from the changes that were enforced? And that you're taking the ball out of the hands of Dupont by having to move him around. Entomac goes into a position he's played in before, but not in his natural position. Um, it affected the kicking game, I thought, for both players when they moved around, but also the quality of ball that Toulouse were getting out. When that game's 15 on 15, Toulouse win the game 22 points to 13, but Leinster ripped them to shreds at the times when they got players in the bin. Um, so how much of, let's say, them not clicking came down to the fact that Dupont and Entomac had to move around? Yeah, I, I think the. I think the power plays of you know scoring twenty eight points when you know for the twenty minutes that two players are in the bin that but you can't you know look too too far away from that. I know Lens are very good uh, when they have a man advantage. I think there was a stat where in one hundred and ten minutes they'd scored one hundred and twenty six points over the course of the competition, which is phenomenal, really comparatively to anyone else. I think Exeter might have been a little over half that, um, and they were second on the list. So when you look at their ability to be able to take advantage of that numerical advantage um i think that is key but you know the losing you, you always run the risk on a 6-2 split of losing a, a back early on and the fact that you know entomax does cover 10 as well um you know quite a lot he, pl- he played there against leon came on in a similar situation after about 15 minutes and and navigated things extremely well he's still such a phenomenal footballer that he was still creating problems for that Leinster defence and, and squeezing them at times but it, it felt as though the platform wasn't there for him or or the you know the backup scrum half is a grow um mm. to come on and, and properly can put put their imprint on the game you you are so reliant like Dupont creates so much himself but you are very reliant on a quality platform I just felt that the collision zone was predominantly won by Leinster and as a result 
Toulouse never got really any footing properly in the game except for one or two occasions. And even their second score, they played a bit more tempo, played fast. That's the Toulouse of old. We saw, we saw very few quick taps from them. That was one of the only one that sticks to mind. Um, and yet they got a score from it. So I think with Leinster, you've got to play, you've got to play them a bit at their own game, play them fast and, and move them around and try and get them uncomfortable and try and get mismatches in midfield is exactly what they try and do against you as opposition. Leinster turning the screw then when the yellow cards occurred, particularly Jack Conan's two tries in that four-minute period, um, pretty much were the platform for the victory. And again, this is probably a case of Conan doing something, Brian, which is putting himself very much to the forefront for selection at a time when he's had to fight to try and get in at number eight on that team. Yeah, and, and listen, I saw his article a couple of weeks ago about you know the illness that he had, and um, and you know there was uncertainty around what you know why where was the lack of energy and um, an engine that you know you would have perhaps associated with him in the past. He was coming in and out of games. I suppose that all makes sense a bit now because you look at some of his performances and particularly in the last six months, I think he's really elevated his game again, getting way more touches. He's a very destructive ball carrier. But turning up for big moments and, and lots of scores, actually, as well. You know, it, it's very difficult to stop um, close to the line. But it, the small little, you know, the small little nuances like Porter at the line, you know, what he what he does rather than picking from the base, picking, taking a step, encouraging in the second defender to make a hit. And then and then Conan running that sharp line between the second and third defender and leaving Arnold too much work to do to get a good collision against a big ball carrier like him and then able to ride out the challenge. Those are small little things that you know might seem insignificant but they're huge in the overall scale of trying to get you know get soft shoulders trying to create space for your 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 big ball carriers and and then you know the second try um for me we've seen so much you know Jameson Gibson Park was comfortably player of the match I thought he was outstanding for 60 minutes but we see it quite a lot with him you know the attacking of blind sides and in many cases you know Leinster might have what looks like a you know three on two or a four on three, and what he does is he he whips it across a couple of a- attackers, and so the knock-on effect is it goes across a couple of defenders too, and all of a sudden a four on three is he turns into a two on one, and Leinster are so good, and Ireland are so good at putting them away, and then you know becoming support players as well, and we saw it against I think it was Bundiaki's try. Where very in the in the uh, Italy game where he did something similar, missed the first man, created a two-on-one, and then the the support players flood through and pick up easy scores. But it's really smart intellect from him of understanding not throwing missed passes for the sake of it, but understanding why he's throwing that wide pass to be able to take unnecessary passes out of the equation and I think he's he's a player really really on the top of his game at the moment is Gibson Park He feels like a number 9 that's perfectly suited to the way that Leinster and Ireland play too because of the very quick ruck speed that they get um, I would say he's not just quick at getting into rucks but he's very quick of mind as well uh, which gives a fantastic platform for those players who are waiting to collect a pass from but they're, they're a team that want to play wide. That's where they want to get to. They want to get to the 15. And you have to, you know, that phrase of, of earning the right to get out wide. Yes, you have to still go through the gut sometimes and, and, and tighten the defence up. But then an ability to be able to stick the defence down short and then go out the back to, to those extremities. And I think the balance of what Leinster and Ireland do extremely well is understanding, you know, when they have to go short and, and eke out hard yards. And then other times when they've done it a couple of times, show the same picture and going out the back again. Uh, to, to get out wide into those you know 15 and 5 metre channels out wide where the X-Factor players can really kind of 
express themselves. But I think Gibson Park, if you look at his pass ratio, we were doing a bit of analysis beforehand. He he passes the ball almost nine out of ten possessions, which is incredibly high. Um, you, know, you look at Dupont, I, I think he was in around seven out of ten. He runs a couple of times, obviously kicks a lot for them too, capable of doing it off both feet. But Gibson Park is he's he's ultimately a guy just to play fast and play with tempo. And I suppose Leinster are never going to be the biggest team in the competition. So what you have to do against that opposition against opposition is not get into an arm wrestle by playing fast, being in position early, um, winning you know winning the, the the collision space by footwork or by getting in there early and then being very clinical at the ruck as well with with, with good support play. And no team in the world is capable of defending rook speed of what we saw at the, at the weekend. I, I think they averaged 2.8 seconds. Now, to give context, um, you know, under two seconds is is a pretty is a very fast rook. So if you think about averaging 2.8, considering how long it takes sometimes to set up box kicks as well, to average that over the course of your whole game, it must mean that probably close to 50% of your rooks are zero to two seconds. And I don't, you could have 20 people in a defensive line. That's not enough um, to be able to, to deal with that level of rook speed and the front football that they're getting as a result. Time to make decisions means there's less, less acceleration from the defensive line to come off. And so you're picking your pass a little bit e- easier. It just has a huge knock-on effect to being able to play what you want to play in, in your systems and your patterns. From rook speed to speed of foot, in Dan Sheehan's case for his try, he's got two backs who are chasing him down and Sheehan still burns them for pace. Now, he's a good line to run into, but talking to Keith Wood a few weeks ago just about Sheehan as an athlete, like he, that's remarkable for a hooker to be able to break away from two or three players chasing him down. Yeah, I think, first of all, you know, the reaction to be able to grab the ball coming off Jack Willis's head was it was a lovely catch in itself. But then it's that transition, the ability to be able to turn defense into attack, you know, getting yourself, getting your body position right to be able to affect a positive collision. And all of a sudden you're catching the ball above your head. And it's the speed of thought about the, the that transition, the execution of, OK, I've got in my hand, where is the space and how do I use my skill set? You know, so many players that you'd see in in a you know in a, the same jersey over the course of the last ten years wouldn't have that ability to identify where the space is. They'd be looking for a collision. They'd be looking to try and run over someone. Whereas immediately he backs his physical you know capabilities of his acceleration and his footwork. And we've seen it time and again. I'm trying to. I was trying to look and see does he favour that right foot. I think he probably does a little bit. But we'll cut him some slack in in not scrutinising it too much because it's such a thing of beauty. But he does chop step off that right foot an awful lot. It's his favourite uh, foot to, to come from. But having a hooker of that capability as a back, you want them not in a support line, but in the line with you to be able to pass and then feed off and run support lines. Because he, you know, as time goes on, he'll catch people off guard less and less, but he's still grabbing people's attention. Go, God, I didn't realise he had that level of, of acceleration or that ability to you know, beat people in a phone box. So... You know, to accelerate from Dupont and, and one or two others just shows how much of an athlete he is. Yeah, I, I would imagine for the rest of the Leinster team as well, that's an incredible attacking weapon to have when that front row can carry as much ball as effectively as they do. But if you if you think about the players that they have out in the extremities, like Conan's a very good guy to have out in the five-metre channel. Um, Dan Sheehan, you know, a lot of hookers now are being used out in that width as well. You know, as we talked about with 
um, with the Piraki try with Movaka that was out in the five meter channel. So teams, I think New Zealand probably started it with Dane Coles, who was one of those new breed hookers where an ability to really accelerate and be a ball player. And, and, and now that's the modern day hooker. You have to have those capabilities to, to be able to, you know, not just scrummage and throw good darts, but actually play, you know, comfortably in the loose and out in those, those really wide channels. So when you have, quality players like Doris and Conan that are can play in those five meter channels on one side and, and Kelleher and uh, and Sheehan in the other five, you know that you've you've got some seriously attacking uh, threats along with, you know, multitude of quality backs as well. So that's what makes them such a good unit is that there's so many th- threats coming from everywhere. You keep your eye too focused on a Gary Ringrose or a Henshaw or a Charlie Natai or, or Jordan Larmer and then all of a sudden they offload to Dan Sheehan and he's gone. Charlie Nodai then, having to come in reasonably late notice, we think. The quad injury picked up by Robbie Henshaw seemed to be reasonably late in the week. He's kind of touch and go for the URC quarterfinal this weekend. He got a couple of important turnovers during the game. He kicked a lovely 50-22 kick at one point in the first half as well. What did you make of his performance? Because these are the type of games he was brought in for for cover when Ringrose or Henshaw go down. I, I thought he was really, really excellent. Um, he... He made very, very few errors. His ability to read off defenders, get good shots in, got a really good turnover and with a collision on Movaka when they were pushing Leinster's line um, in the in the second half, you know, just when they were a couple of scores ahead and, and Toulouse were really pushing hard to get back to within a one-score game. Um, I, you know, his, his passing was excellent. Yeah, distribution, subtlety of hand, ball carrying. I, I thought he was... Really, for a guy that hadn't played for three odd months, I thought he was top class. And it's a difficult thing. We were questioning it beforehand. You know, having someone come in like that, it's it's so hard to get yourself up to you know, match fitness, irrespective of what you're doing with the collisions and the intensity of of games versus training. But it looked as though it was a seamless transition for him. And I think really good um, coaching as well from from Stuart and and Leo. Um, you know getting out of there after 50, 55 minutes and the body tires. And that's where you pick up secondary injuries, having just returned um, to play after an extended period out. So, you know, I know the game was largely probably comfortable at that point, but then to be able to bring Frawley in, something slightly different, someone that might have been a bit disappointed not to have gotten the starting berth instead of Natai, um, you know, I thought it was really good you know, player management as well. So, so impressed with him. He, he's a very good player. Obviously, you know, I didn't realize it was only one uh, all black cap that he got, but watching him, um, you know, was it with Leon last year in the challenge cup final? I knew he'd that rocket launcher of a, of a right boot. And it was, it was more of a 60, 22 than a 50, 22 was that big. Um, and, and just, yeah, no frills. That's the great thing. He's just, he's a, he's a, he's a role. He's rolled up sort of player, you know, but yet has some really nice subtleties to his game as well. So for me, you know, probably Gibson Park and him were, were the real standout performers in very different ways. How and, is... J- and James Ryan. I gotta, I gotta give yeah. a shout out to James Ryan as well. My God, he got through some amount of work. He is, really does. Is Ryan still evolving as a player, Brian? Because you know, it he seems is. he's stepped it up a bit in the last 18 months or so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he's been outstanding um, this calendar year. You know, the last six months, it really feels as though he's elevated his performance. Massive aggression from him. I think there's a bit more of that in his game. Um, I saw him at, at one stage fighting with um, 
Miafu in a in a in a in a mall, and he was just being an absolute nuisance with them. Mo, you know, Mo, um, Miafu was trying to you know get to to a, a driving line out, and he was doing everything in his power to really make it incredibly uncomfortable. I know that's his role, but in the past, I don't think we maybe saw that level of ing- of aggression and uncompromising nature to his play. So. I think all of the, the there's so much subtlety to his game. There's sm- small, so much work that people wouldn't really see the the lines of running, committing defenders, being the first player to clear out a rook, um, smashing some rooks, really making an impact and, and and setting the tone for the rest of the team. So for me, yeah, he's been a a bit of an unsung hero this year, just quietly going about his his business. In a similar fashion, Ross Maloney just beside him. Jason Jenkins came in and did a decent job off the bench this week, just gone by. But um, Maloney has been pretty key to everything that that Leinster pack has done well this season in big games. He's a guy who's really played himself in as a first choice locker. Yeah, he has. And and you have to remember, too, at at this stage last year, we were waxing lyrically about him as well. Was he going to go on the summer tour? You know, he wasn't picked for that, obviously. Um, But yeah, he's, he's, he's. Offering at different parts of the game is is key. I think he's happy to get involved in the grunt work and you know hitting a lot of rooks and again similarly to Ryan running a lot of decoy lines, but um, but also he's he's a very good playmaker. I think he's one of the best at taking the ball to the line and and picking the the correct pass, particularly that one out the back. It was a line that he ran for Ringrose's first try against Leicester a few weeks ago, you know, which he scored after seventy seconds. And if you look at the timing of it, the intent, the hands up, he committed. Was it um, man? Um, or oh, the uh, the Scotland second row Cameron, whatever his, his name is, the the Leicester lock. Uh, he committed him, and as a result, creates separation between him and the next defender, and that's where Ringrose threw the dummy, and he's gone. And people were like, you know, it was brilliant from Ringrose. It's the creation of space by others around them is is what really kind of elevates others to perform their best game so yeah I think um, Maloney's really really playing quality stuff at the moment yeah Cameron Henderson uh, he got past Cameron Henderson thank you I'm I'm looking I was looking I was scooting through my app here to try and remember Cameron Henderson yeah is he Scottish he's Scottish second row yeah Um, yeah yeah I was close to half right the I suppose the two grievances maybe that Toulouse might have, well, particularly one major grievance would be that Andrew Porter doesn't get at least a yellow card for the tip tackle off the ball. One Cruz Malia goes down off the ball at a time when Toulouse were attacking. It could well have been yellow, it could well have been red. I don't know how much you saw of it, Brian, on the BT Sport cameras, because yeah. in the stadium, it wasn't replayed on the big screen. So Stuart Barnes was in the dark from that point of view. It seems to have been missed by the television officials as well as the broadcaster not showing it again. Um, firstly, did you see much of it? And secondly, yeah. what do you think should have been the punishment for it? Yeah, saw it. And and Ben Kay, who was in commentary with me, immediately called it as soon as he, as soon as he saw it. I think there's a frustration, you know, from from a commentary point of view, this, there's two lines of thought on this. People are like, it, it's not your position to call out foul play. Um, and others think that that's absolutely our, our role. And I would be of the latter, where if something untoward happens, you should be able to call into a director to go, I want a replay on that. It was worth a review and, and probably a yellow card. He lands on his back. Luckily, he doesn't it doesn't tip him any further than than horizontal, you know, um, on you know from his back point of view hitting the ground. It wasn't as though legs were were above uh, above his head. 
and if that was the case, then you're you're bringing in head and neck, and then it's a and it's another color card. But I do think that you know that that it was worthy of a yellow card, and I could understand the frustration. The terrible thing is, players are going to have to stay down now. Mali, in fairness to him, you know, just got hungry because he thought he he, he was going to get a score from from the next phase, and it was actually where Miafu scored his try. Whereas Malia, you know, took a second and then bounced up back up to, to his feet. And, and the frustrating thing, the sign, what that tells players is that you're going to have to stay down and milk it a little bit more to actually get the attention of the TMO at times. And they shouldn't have missed that. It was very blatant, to be honest with you. Toulouse were a little bit frustrated about Nettie's yellow card as well. Um, this, I'm interested in your position as a former player too, in that He's made a move to try and avoid a collision that could potentially happen with Josh van der Flair, but it seems that World Rugby are very much coming down the side of any kind of head-to-head collision or potentially a head being hit has to be treated as a yellow card. What was your take on the incident? It, I looked at it again today, and, and initially I thought he's entitled to, to drive forward. Now, in, in that position, that you're not in a position of strength if someone comes charging into a rock to hit you and you're standing upright. So you have to get yourself into kind of, you know, something like a three-point position. And it's going to mean that your head is leading the way. So what he should have done, obviously, was just get into that position. Unfortunately, you're offering your head as the target. But if a player hits you on the head, you know that they're going to be seeing red. So the onus is on them to try and hit you elsewhere, which actually Van der Fleer did manage to do. He hits him on the on the shoulder. He doesn't hit him, make head contact. Um, but... I do think that the action, particularly the first one is okay because he goes forward. The action of the second one goes from low to high. And the fact that he does, it does look as though he's using his head as a weapon. And as soon as you bring that in, is there foul play? And I think that referee Wayne Barnes actually got that right. I think the initial impact is on his chest and rises up to his head and people calling for red cards. That's not a red card for me. Um, But I do think that it was stupid and he got frustrated and could see what was coming from Josh. And, you know, people are saying that Josh milked it a small bit. He caught him in the head. And um, and I think that, that the decision on the yellow card is probably correct. Well, rugby here and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. We're going to take a very short break. We'll talk about La Rochelle and Ron Nogara's comments about Leinster's season when we come back in a moment. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Brian O'Driscoll is still here with us we're now looking at La Rochelle's 47-28 victory against Exeter and if I can start Brian with Roger's comments after the game he's kind of shooting the breeze a little bit on BT Sport afterwards with Austin Healy and with Lawrence Delalio and they're talking about the difficult run that Leinster are going to have with the URC uh, knockout stages starting this weekend and Ron McGarr is quick to point out well we've got two very difficult top 14 games coming up over the next few weeks and the truth is that we actually play that type of difficult season all year round it's been kind of disputed by Robin McBride when he was up for his press conference yesterday does Roger have a point? What, what was I didn't see what Robin McBride said dispute with, with regard to disputing what he says. Leinster have a difficult uh, routine and fixtures all the time, even if um, Rog is playing down the URC. Um, I don't think the competitiveness of the URC is the same as the top fourteen. No, I don't. Um, I would be in agreement with Rog on that. Um, I think if you look at how you know Leinster are able to at times play a second and third. Um, right side um for one of another expression and getting success you know in in 
certain countries and away from home, I think that does speak volumes for the level of, of quality across the league. I think there's a an improved standard, no doubt, with the South African teams, but a consistency across the whole of the URC, I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. Look at the quality or the, the very poor quality of the Welsh regions this year. They've been very disappointing. Italian teams, Benetton, you know, occasionally um, you know, deliver a good performance. Zebra, no, no victories all year. Um, so I, I, I have to say, I think, yeah, the, the competitiveness of the top 14 is um, significantly better than the URC for now. You, you aspire to be at that type of level, but Raj has a point there. Um, but we're at the business end of the season now, and so the quality of the games um, is is going to be significant, um, you know, going from here on in. So I, I suppose from that point of view, I'll take it away from Rod that there's, there's, it's going to be, it's going to be much the same for both teams right now. Yeah, a lot of records tumbled in this game. La Rochelle scoring the most points in the semi-final with 47. It was the biggest margin of victory for a French team over an English team in a semi-final in Europe as well. 47-28 in the end. There was a lot to admire about the performance. Aldrit was fantastic. I thought their pack played well throughout the game. Uh, Ker Barlow was incredible as well. Um, there was a lot to admire about the way the Lugara side played on Sunday. Yeah, I thought you know they were very, very good. The, the quality between their power game I, I mentioned about their competitiveness at the Rook um, really good decision making with the likes of Carbarlo. Um, I think Hastoy is a great find for them as well um, and yeah you know they've, they've got some some quality finishes and they're doing it all they did it all without Dante I don't know how, how, how long he is out for but he's a huge loss to them as a, as a player I think the security of Brees Doolan, a fullback, can't be underestimated. He's a real kind of unsung hero for them. Has been quality the last couple of seasons, particularly in the games where they've beaten Leinster. Um, and so, and then you've, you've obviously got you know the monstrous front five. I think Bougarie is probably the other one at, at at hooker that has been really really good the last couple of seasons. And and unlucky not to get more um, international honours. I think he's been consistently excellent. Perhaps not not bringing the same dynamism as someone like a Dan Sheen or a Kelleher, but very very annoying at rooks. Turns a lot of ball over, you know, big work rate, decent darts. So um, yeah, I think there's lots to enjoy about this La Rochelle team. They look like a very well coached team. I think when you look at um, we talk about Toulouse, I think there's a huge um, lean towards. Entomac and uh, Dupont and these guys pulling a rabbit out of a hat and creating something themselves. And they, that broken field running, they, they're, it's like the structures initially, but then go out and play. But against the best defences, that's going to be very hard to break down. Whereas for me, this La Rochelle team looks very well drilled, very clear understanding of what they're trying to create, This, you know, the shape they've, they've got, um, where they, they balance their, you know, their, their, they're bludgeoning with some really silky skills, quality passing. So, yeah, I, I think Raj has done a terrific job there. And he was disappointed with what they were like, when, you know, when they didn't have the ball. Well, that will be all important in the final. You know, they they got Leinster's number in in defence in the final last year, and that was the um, that was the leveler for me, being able to allow them to stay in the game, their their ability to fire up and and catch Leinster off guard and. Um, but yes, still managed to solve problems. So 
it's you know a pretty impressive La Rochelle team again this year. Kerr Barlow missed the final last year, uh, despite all attempts being made to get that hand injury uh, cured in time for the final. Uh, Roger at the time felt that he was badly missed in Marseille and he's delighted to have him back and was saying after the game he's hopeful he'll get through the next couple of weeks and be okay for the final. At this point, Austin Healy was saying he was gushing in his praise about him in the second half particularly, said he's probably the best uh, non-international playing scrum half currently. And he thinks Eddie Jones should definitely have a look at him for the World Cup. That's two tries in the quarterfinal, two tries in the semi-final, playing some really good rugby at the moment. Um, yeah, very impressive. Has, he, has Kerr Barlow played? Uh, can he play for Australia now? Yeah, he's changed his uh, allegiance, I think, a couple of years ago to oh, Australia. Oh, so A very rare one where you could have a guy who was an all-black who could play for Australia yet. Yeah, wild. Um, yeah, he's he's been brilliant. He was brilliant against Saracens in the quarterfinal. Excellent again at the weekend. I think again, he just the, the best scrum halves make good decisions, and there's no, you know, the frills are additional to you know your to your game. It's about doing all the basics extremely well, being a good passer, sitting down defenders, uh, running good support lines, box kicking well, you know, relieving pressure, taking the pressure away from your from your ten. Um, organizing your your forwards in defense as well. All of the simple, small small manners, um, the the kind of micro chat that goes on behind the scenes. He seems extremely good at that. From a from a, a, a player capable of pulling it all together and linking forwards and backs as well. So, yeah, he's been outstanding in the few games that I have seen um, him play with with La Rochelle this year and. Um, and I think it's only right that he gets an opportunity to play in a in a Champions Cup final, um, having missed out last year. And you want the best players to play on the biggest stage. So, yeah, Leinster will need to keep a very close eye on him and um, and his ability to kind of dictate play in in you know when his team gets on top. Nice opportunity for Alton Delan as well, isn't it? Having gone out to France, great. And here he is now coming back for a Champions Cup final. Yeah, great for him, and and the fact that he's you know he's he's playing consistently at six for them now. Um, you know, I would have said in the past probably one of the the, the things that inhibited Ulton a bit was his ball handling. Um, you know, as, as a proper um, link man, um, and now it looks as though through repetition, through being drilled a bit like a bit like Trevor Brennan when when you know he left Leinster and went to Toulouse in the early noughties. You know, Trevor wasn't this great ball handler or he was someone to give you go for but then all of a sudden he gave you that with Toulouse and also became this offloader that we were never able to release as a as a player when in his in his time at Leinster so I think that just shows the quality of good coaching about repetition and I guess we see that with Leinster the whole time about the angles of running that's that, that happens that's not just happening fortuitously because people have you know have clicked something being said to them last week that's Time and time again, they're running that repetition of training. And I think Alton's really um, thriving in a new environment and been given a new new license to play in a, in a different position than he's predominantly played all his career. Um, Leinster will have that opportunity, Brian, to go for a fifth star. Keane Healy could, in his seventh final, potentially win a fifth European Cup. Johnny Sexton uh, won't be involved, but could be his fifth as well. What do Leinster have to do differently compared to Marseille last year if they're to get past La Rochelle this time? Um, obviously, they. I think the rook is key. I think that the accuracy there, and um, they have to offer a little bit more with the ball in hand. Um, you know, I think a couple of times, La Rochelle really kind of came hard off the line against Exeter, and they almost got them a few times. 
I think they've got to come up with one or two plays that could really potentially cut this La Rochelle team apart, particularly off launch play, particularly off scrum. You know, with South African wingers playing there, they do like to play hard up and in. And I think you've got to encourage that and then find something to to modify one or two of your plays, showing the same picture, but then offering something slightly different in case they have analysed you, thinking, you know, trying to get them to overread. Um, and then, yeah, listen, it, there wasn't much between Leinster winning and losing last year. In fact, they led for the 78 minutes of the game. Um, and so just have to do everything a little bit better and then they've got a, they've got a chance. But, you know, again, it'll come down to, um, you know, set piece. It'll come down to, to who owns the rook who can get accurate there, the fight of the ball carrier after the collision, all those small moments will add up to an overall greater team performance. So I don't think they have to reinvent the wheel and, and, and throw out the playbook and what they've done all season. They just have to do all of that very well. And I think La Rochelle will find it very difficult to live with them. Brian, just before we finish up, my congratulations on officially now being a second generation Ireland international after your dad finally uh, got his couple of caps recognised from the Argentina game in the 70s. I saw a picture of you with your dad and the cap recently as well. I, I presume it's a very proud moment for you and the family that he's now been officially recognised. Huge, absolutely huge moment. Uh, yeah, he's, um, I can't tell you, he is thrilled. And it's it's so funny that, I, you know, now I'm, <laughs> you know, I regularly, I sent him a text the other day um, and I was asking, do you want to play some golf? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah great. I'll see if I can get a tea time. Um, fondest love, 1149. So now he's signing off his cap number on, <laughs> on some text messages too. So, um, no, it's, it's, I was a real bone of contention, I think, over the course of it's 53 years since he, he received those, those games, uh, those test matches as, um, for, for Ireland against Argentina. And then, so in that time, you, you think about, you know, Irish team, that was a full-strength Irish team that went down there. And you think about other Irish teams that have travelled around the world um, when Lions tours have been going on to Japan and to Argentina. And and perhaps not full-strength then being awarded to Test Caps has been difficult, I'm sure, for them to see. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a huge... Um, it was a huge moment for him to be able to, to know that it's, it's going to be recognised later on in the summer and I'm sure we'll have a good party uh, around it. Good stuff. I would highly recommend putting his number at the end of his name within your phone book now. It can be dad, hashtag, 1149. <laughs> I'm definitely going to do that now. I'm definitely doing that. <laughs> well, rugby here and off the wall with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Brian, thanks a million. Thanks, Will. Cheers. Talk to you. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.